Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. I have a gold medal winner, Olympic gold medal winner, Edwin Moses, on the line. And by the way, grew up in the same neighborhood in Dayton, Ohio. And then, of course, uh, um, I'm doing a broadcast uh, in, in out in the desert. Where were we? Palm Springs, 3 o'clock in the morning, and somebody knocks on my hotel door. Oh, this is Dr. Carlos. I'm going, who? And then uh, I, had to get, I had to take a second look at, oh, Dr. John Carlos. Okay. Well, and, you know, gentlemen, first of all, it, it, is, it is a very unique opportunity to have both of you on the same broadcast. And you know why we're here. It seems like every former Olympian is being asked about, about what happened, particularly with Simone and the gymnastics. Hey, so, Ed, Edwin, if you don't mind, let me have seniority go first. <laughs> you need to talk to Carlos there. What are you trying to throw the calendar in the game? Don't put the calendar in there. <laughs> and, and, and welcome, gentlemen. Uh, okay, and both of you jump in anytime. What, what's been what, what's been your reaction, uh, John Carlos? Well, you know, my reaction to uh, Miss Simone, uh, a situation is pretty much like the tennis player. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mental stress on individuals that go into competition. These young uh, individuals are extremely young, and at the same time, you have to remember that. They basically, like this young lady said, put the weight of the world on her. They put so much pressure on her to perform and so forth. And then in the midst of it, they say, well, you had an error, but your your performance was so superior to everyone else. We're not going to give you credit because we fear if we give you credit, it's going to have other individuals think they can do what you do and injure themselves. Uh, so they create rules uh, to push the mental issues even further. When you sit back and think about what happened to Simone, you think about what happened to you. We had a skater years back. They did a triple flip or something in skating. And uh, they took that away from her and told her it wasn't allowed for her to do that type of performance in the in the competition. So we still have many perils that we have to climb through. You know, uh, Edwin Moses, uh, I, I, in, I invoked your name when uh, I, I was talking uh, earlier this week about this how I grew up uh, with coaches that always said to me, it is 90% mental and only 10% physical. I I mean, was I on target? I think it's a little bit more physical involved, but the mental game, you know, when you get to the top level, you can't even unleash your real power and performance if you're not mentally there. Uh, in the case of Simone, just like uh, John said, uh, there was a lot of pressure on her, and there's a lot of pressure on everyone from, from having to train under COVID, uh, the kind of restrictions that they have in, in, uh, in Tokyo. But uh, I think also, you know, she's had a, a very strong season, and everyone was anticipating her, and uh, she did very well. I think she kind of burned out personally. She did very well at the World Championships. She did very well at the U.S. championships, and then had the Olympic trials like two weeks after that, and that's when she started going downhill. So I think she kind of 
mentally and probably physically peaked at the same time and, 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 and unfortunately um, had a, a series of bad days at the Olympics. And, now, you, and that's normal. That's what the Olympics are about. But that's what you, I think happened. And, okay. and that mental stress just got to her. Now, do you think she did? Uh, Ed, do you think she did the right thing for for the team? I think she did the right thing for the team because had she made a major mistake, maybe they would have gone from a silver to a bronze, or maybe to from silver to nothing. So to give the other young lady the opportunity to come through, and she was completely capable, I think that was a good move. Uh, fortunately, you know, in track and field, we don't have substitutes. You know, there's nobody coming off the bench for you. So if you get hurt or or or, or you have a, an, an issue that really affects you, and you know that's a part of the game dealing with psychological issues. That's a part of being an Olympic champion. You know, those who are able to to, to perform their best. Uh, did you have? Did you? Mentally. Did you have to face the the same thing? And the same question goes to John Carlos. Let me ask you. Uh, uh, and Moses, did you have the same kind of pressure or is it different today? Because, you know, when when I look at the at the, for example, the sponsorships that the that athletes have today, I was amazed at the millions of dollars that they uh, have riding on their career. Your Your response, Moses. Well, I went through the same thing. I think I was probably one of the first to go through that in the L.A. Olympics because in 1981, uh, Olympic sport was opened up, specifically track and field, so that we could make money. We could get sponsorship. We could do commercials. We could do all that. And I was I was pretty lucky in 83. I had billboards from Kodak and, and uh, Kappa and Adidas and, and I, uh, IBM. I had a bunch of sponsors. And uh, I lived 50 miles away from, from the L.A. stadium, and I chose to stay at home as long as I could. And uh, I only did work with sponsors one or two days a week after my training in order to protect myself. So, yeah, I went through the same thing uh, way back then. So it's not unusual. I think it's magnified now with all the social media that these young uh, athletes have and, 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 and uh, the pressure that they have to be on social media have so many followers on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, I think that really uh, aggravates the situation for the athletes and, and puts them behind the curve. I don't know how I would handle it today, you know, if worried about how many Instagram followers and these companies are measuring you by the, the amount of following you have uh, and, and, and translating that into money on your contract. So that's a lot of pressure. Dr. Carlos, so what about you? You came up in a different era. Yeah, we we walked through the woods, man, in the fire. So we were pretty pretty well adapted to anything that came towards us. But uh, talking about Miss Simone, I would have to go back to the fact that, that she has a a health issue, a mental health issue, and that supersedes anything. Uh, and, and it was courageous for her to even say that I would step back because when you go into a mental health situation, that can affect the whole team. She could de- destroy the whole team because she's the leader of the team. She can't get out there and perform in an airy sort of way, and she can't get out there and perform in an airy sort of way mentally. So the best thing was for her to step back and try and gather herself as best she can. She will get her performances back in order. I don't know whether it be in time for the games. However, I don't think that the general public should be so hard on this young lady because she chose to be concerned about her, her mental health just the same as the uh, tennis player or soccer. 
you know, mental health is a very strong issue that we take so lightly. We don't think it, it really has effect on athletes. They think that we're superhuman, but we are human. And you have to take into account that when the human elements start to feed in, you have to take the necessary steps to protect yourself. And you want to add to that, uh, Edwin Moses? I would agree 100%. Um, when you're at that super high level, you're basically out there by yourself. Everywhere you go, people are noticing you. The amount of expectation that everyone has is tremendous. And uh, you can easily get to the breaking point. I mean, you really have to have it together. And like John said, you know, his generation for sure, my generation, I think we, we, we didn't have any options for mental health, and no one certainly wanted to even hear about it. So yeah. we just yeah. had to trudge on like warriors and do what we had to do. Yeah, and especially uh, no in the black. Yeah, especially in the black community. I mean, we keep we've always talked about this. That it, you, no one in the black community. I mean, you didn't talk about mental health because you were considered right off the bat crazy. And right. uh, and well, and not, uh, not only that, Joe, you, you have to take into account that. We never had anyone in the mental health field that even considered the black community in terms of trying to give us some sort of assistance to deal with mental health. So with no assistance and taking place, uh, no one coming to support you or to help you, uh, yes, quite naturally we would shy away from anyone that has that type of situation in life. At the same time, we didn't have anyone in our communities to deal with us relative to mental health. I mean, that's why a lot of people go to drugs based on mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I saw I saw an I saw a story the other day. Uh, I was oh I know what it is. I was watching this great documentary. What is the Summer Soul? Uh, some of the Soul or whatever. Yeah, that right. uh, root. Yeah, that put together. If you haven't seen it, it is really good. But they one of the programs that they had during that festival was a religion. You know, gospel music, and somebody made the point that a lot of people turn to the church for mental health. They turn to the gospel music. That was our, uh, that was our medicine when it came That's time. Absolutely right. Yeah, for mental health. We, we, we came to church. Um, yeah. You know, let me, let, me, uh, uh, let me also do this. Um, I, I, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you, about the recent appearance of of uh, Foreman, George Foreman, and I, I'll say this up front: I was absolutely confused <laughs> at what he was trying to uh, say. Let me, if you don't mind, let me play a portion of of, of that discussion and then uh, get your uh, response. And I know you've responded to this, uh, Dr. Carlos, be, uh, before this. Go ahead, Daryl, and, and just play that, would you? To me, you know, you have a crowd, diverse background, all races, creeds, colors, religions, and there's a shared passion, a natural unity. They love their sport. They love their team. You straight, you're, you're high-fiving <laughs> with strangers. Now you bring politics into it, and I don't see any good coming out of it. George Foreman, do you? No good has ever, no good has ever come out of it. I remember uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. I don't know how dedicated they were, but they 
put on a demonstration that's still talked about. It was so great that the world saw it, and they went down to Germany and killed those kids representing Israel. That's what a demonstration will get you. It shouldn't be in sports. should take it out, let, let us go over there and have a good time, and stay out of politics because it's a dangerous thing. Oh, God. I, I got to tell you, that, that is the... Uh, I'm never John Carlos, your your response, I know you've responded on other shows. Uh give me the Joe Madison show response. Well, well let me just say, Joe, first of all, I haven't had an opportunity to have counsel with George Valtteri's statements to, to to have any conversation or debate. I don't know where he came from with that statement. But yet and still, uh, I'm not going to throw any rocks at George Foreman because I don't think that George Foreman really had an opportunity to sit down and evaluate this in his mind. I think that the man put a question to him, and this is what blurted out out of his out of his uh, conscious mind. Uh, when you sit back and think about it, he's trying to say that we took a, a humanitarian issue that was totally nonviolent and said we was a litmus for what took place in Munich in, in, in 72 is absurd. But yet and still... I'd say once again, that's his opinion. He's entitled to his opinion, and I'm sure it'd be many people in society that would disagree with with his opinion. Now, am I? If, if did I read somebody's uh, his volume is up? But I hear a little bit of feedback. Did, did is it not true that after the your demonstration in Mexico City, that one of the people who financially helped you? Was George Foreman? Uh, George Foreman did something years, many years after the Olympic Games. Okay. Yeah, he did. He did lend support to me. Correct. Yeah, after the Olympic Games. Yeah, he lent right. support. Um, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, let me let me make it clear, man. George Foreman was, was was a very good friend of mine at that time, and I still believe that we're still very good friends. I wouldn't let his comment get in the way of our friends, other than right. the fact. That then mm-hmm. I would like to sit down and have some dialogue with him in, in regards to that. And, and you sit back and say, we brought politics into the games. If I wanted to be crude or shrewd, I could say, you know, what well, George brought politics into the game when he waved the flag after, right. he, after he won the fight. But I'm not going to go there and say that. Once I, once again, I would say that there has to be some time where George would have to sit down and have a discussion with some people yeah. about his statement and and try and get clarification because I don't think George has all the facts. And and any response from you, uh, Edwin Moses? Uh, to me, that the, the whole statement sounds ludicrous to conflate one set of circumstances for another one four years later. One had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the other. And so I just think it's just a false argument right off the top. Yeah. I'll go even further than John. It's a false argument. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, uh, uh, finally, gentlemen, um, <laughs> uh, I get your response to who was this that, uh, and, and you want to talk about crazy, uh, was this a, a talk personality that went after the uh, basketball players and said he, he'd hope they would win? Um, how, how much of this... I hope they would lose, that the, that the U.S. team would lose. How many, uh, just talk about the, the, your attitude at the time, two different Olympics, 
um, at the time when you participate. It's both, is it not individual, and are you not also performing for your country? I mean, that's not far-fetched thought, is it? And is both are both of those in your mind? Uh, we, go we ahead. Who's next? We represent the country as strongly as we represent self. Okay. But yet and still, you know, there's things that goes beyond uh, self and country. You know, there's other elements in this society which is far more important to, to myself and I'm sure it's just as important for other individuals. We come together as a team, you understand, like a tank to go win the war, uh, whether we're in the actual war itself or whether we're in the war of sports. We come together under the flag of of the United States, and we come together as a team to try and win as a team and win as many medals as we possibly can, break as many records as we possibly can. We go in the front lines of the war to win the war, to represent America. Our beef is that we feel like America has let us down and has never really represented people of color. And I'll close with you, Edwin Moses. Um, I, I think you represent your country automatically, but you're, ne- you're not going to represent your country unless you get up on, on the podium or, or make it to the trial. So uh, it's really about individual self, and then all, everything else kicks in later. Once you make an Olympic team, you, 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 know, you wear the red, white, and blue and are proud of it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it means different things to different people at different times. I mean, uh, you know what John and, John and Tommy went through and, and the circumstances around their, uh, their decision to boycott was completely different than what's happening now. And it was completely different to what happened to me in, in 76, being the only American on the, on the victory stand in an individual event. And also, when we competed, we were competing under virtual wartime conditions. The Vietnam War was going on when John and Tommy were in 68. I was only 13 years old. And then my whole career, we were in a virtual you know, wartime uh, scenario with the East Germans, the Russians. You know, there was the, the, the Cold War was going on. And when you walked into the, onto a field, say you had to compete in Moscow and you were an American, and you walked on and saw that hammer and sickle on the front of those Germans' chests or the East Germans, I mean, it was a completely different atmosphere uh, that we had to uh, compete under. I'm not sure if many of the athletes today would be able to survive under that kind of pressure all the time against, against uh, foreign countries in those circumstances. Uh, I got to tell you, gentlemen, I, I'm, I, I am really honored, and I mean this sincerely, of, of knowing both of you. And I say this without fear of contradiction. You're not only great athletes and role models as athletes, but you're two brilliant young men. Yes, John Carlos, I called you young. Yeah. So. Yes, I, I, and I, I'll accept that, Joe. I'll accept that. <laughs> and, and listen, I, I'd like to make this comment before we get off the air. Uh, you know, I have a big concern about the Olympics. I have a big involvement in history with the Olympics. And I want to see the Olympics succeed. I want them to be successful. But at the same time, I want to see them grow. And the way I see them growing is they need to – come back and reflect on who they are, what their values were, and say, how can we make this thing right for all individuals? And I'm saying that in the sense that you look at the rings, and what are the, the major ring in that Olympic circle? Is that black circle uniting all the other cultures and con- countries together. 
why is it that the, the England and had the Olympics two times, the United States and had it three times, uh, you know, China has had it, you know, uh, Japan has got it another two times now. And what happened with the continent of, continent of Africa? What, what happened to them? I've never seen them host the Olympic Games. I know they have approached the people about hosting the games there. They used to always say, oh, they wasn't qualified. They couldn't do a, a, an affair that big. Well, South Africa hosted the World Cup soccer. That is as big as the Olympics or maybe bigger. But the bottom line is we still haven't had a charter to go through Africa relative to hosting the Olympic Games, which is supposed to be the greatest sport in the world. Many, many people of color have held those rings up throughout the world. I think it's time that we start looking at that and pressing the International Olympic Committee to open its arms a little more and be a little more hospitable to the entire world. And I take it, uh, Edwin Moses, not to speak for you, you would second that as a... Uh as Smokey Robbins would say, emotion. I just <laughs> second that emotion. And, you know, it's a, the, the financial model that they have is really discriminatory. Uh, Japan spent, their the budget was $7 billion, They end up spending 20 I think Sochi was $13 billion, They ended up spending 50 So it's financially, it's not going to happen for them to have it in, in a South Africa, which is the wealthiest country in, in Africa, uh, you know, the most modern country. But, you know, if a country like a Kenya or Morocco or any place else, it's financially implausible for them to spend even $3 billion, which, you know, they couldn't pull it off of that, but they couldn't come up with $3 billion from those governments. They have much more pressing needs. So the financial model itself is discriminatory, and that's why we see the Olympics going back to Australia for the third time. Mm. Well, you know what I just thought of, and Sherry passed me a note, maybe we should get uh, former President uh, Barack Obama on uh, to uh, push that. Matter of fact, he just became a, a, a partner uh, with the uh, uh, Africa NBA effort. Uh, yeah. So, you know what? I'll make that one of my charges. Yeah. I appreciate you, gentlemen. Thank you. God bless. Be safe. And I look forward to talking again. Glad we could get you. It's a real treat to have you two together. And I thank you for being part of the show. God bless. All right. All right. We'll hey, continue. God bless. And, and, and take care of your right hand. Hug Cherry and give her a big hug and kiss for me. I will do just that. All right. She's All right, smiling. Boss. All right, boss. Take it easy. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.